John chapter 14, we've been going through the various uh, I am statements of John, uh, of Jesus in the book of John. I say that every week. Um, and we've come to the sixth one, and uh, very appropriate for today. And so we're in John 14, and let me give a, a little, let me set the, set the vibe just a little bit. Uh, John 13, if you were to, to go back and read that, which I would encourage you to do, we'll read it on Thursday, even if you don't. Uh, John 13 is the, the whole chapter is about that Passover meal and that time to be together with Jesus and the 12. And so uh, when we get to 14, we need to be thinking, so it's Thursday, thir- this coming Thursday, let's say. So Good Friday is the next day. It's the eve of the, of the crucifixion. Uh, they are gathered in the upper room for their final, their final Passover meal. Uh, the 12 don't know, they don't really know that, but Jesus knows that. And so, uh, this would have been a very special time for, for them. And so as they come in, uh, when we get to the text in a minute, Jesus will have, he will have washed their feet, which will have been very strange to them. Um, he will have given them a new commandment to love one another as he has loved them. Um, they have probably already taken the, the Passover meal, but then he, he actually reframes that into what we know as the Lord's Supper. He would have done that already. Um, he would have told them that one of them is going to betray him. And so they would be a little shell-shocked from that. And then when Peter gets all worked up about that, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny even knowing him. Uh, three times before sunrise, and so <clears throat> this was a it's like a confusing time. This is supposed to be this really important, beautiful Passover meal, and Jesus has like taken everything and turned it upside down, and some of it is in really beautiful ways, and then he's given this devastating news about betrayal and about Peter's denial, and then we get to chapter fourteen. So look at starting in verse one. With all that in mind, then he says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Let's stop stop right there. So, on top of all the difficult things that we see in chapter 13, everything that's happened up to this moment, now Jesus is saying, oh, and by the way, I'm going to leave you. Now, the thing about these these guys are, they've been with him for like three years. They've left everything to follow him. They've left the, their family family of origin. They've left the family business. They've, they've walked away from the security of that future. They have lived in, basically in poverty, uh, migrating from place to place, following Jesus this whole time. They've witnessed some pretty incredible things, but... But he's been at the center of it, and now he's telling them, uh, I'm going to be betrayed, you're going to deny me, and, and then I'm going to just peace out on you. And so no wonder they're a little, like, they'd have no idea what to, to think in this moment. Um, <clears throat> and you know, even 
even if it was like I'm leaving you to prepare a place for you and and all that stuff, it it still was was just unimaginable to not have Jesus at the front. You know, it's he was the centerpiece. He was he was all that they had known, um, and so uh, really, like it kind of made no sense to them at all. You could tell by the question, they're like, "Well, we don't even know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? We don't even know where you're going." This sense of confusion that's there, and and so when I asked the group just for a little a little group think here for a second, like <clears throat> if we put ourselves in those shoes, uh, so they just got some news. God himself is telling them the truth, you know, he's like telling them the truth. He's pointing them forward. He's doing the, like the Mr. Potato Head thing from last week. He's like, look at the future. This is what's happening. And yet their minds are just racing, you know, like they can't even really process what he's telling them because they're just too, their, their minds are just getting away from them too much. Um, so kind of a two part question. One is, is like, how do you find this to be relatable? Like a relatable experience. And then two, what what do you find helps like slow your mind down? So whenever you get news, God's telling you the truth, but your mind's like, pew, just gone. Uh, in what ways can you can you relate? And how do you how do you slow your mind down to where the truth can actually do what it's supposed to do? Yeah, I think anytime. I mean, obviously, right now where you're getting an influx of information, whether it's statistical fact or just someone telling you a lot of information at once I think it just overwhelms our senses and for me personally I was telling some people the other night on a zoom call like it's like a um, a scale for me and if the amount of information I'm taking in factual or not is greater than the amount of just steadfast truth that I'm interpreting it with it's going to get way out of balance for me. And so I guess like to answer the second question, it's I have to take all of that information and that my finite mind doesn't know how to interpret any of this. I was a kindergarten teacher before I was a minister, so this medical science stuff means makes no sense to me. But if I'm taking that information and then asking Jesus to help me interpret it, that's what slows me down and helps me focus on the things that are important and not the things that I can't do anything about. Yeah, I mean, I'm generally a person that, like, as soon as I get information, I go, like, way down the road, you know? And I, I think about, like, when Aaron told us, told me that uh, we were pregnant with Grady. And I immediately was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I just went, like, all the way down, like, to when he's, like, 16 and get in the car. <laughs> and kind of thinking through all that before I, like, stop and be like, okay, what does this mean in this moment? You know, like... And I've kind of always been prone to like do that my whole life is like just just speed, just fast, like go go way way farther than the moment. And so I've had to instill like rhythms in my life to where I stop and I slow down every single day. Like I start my day slow, yeah. and I like solitude, comp, comp, uh, contemplative prayer, you know, those types of things where I'm just like journaling and purposely like slowing myself down. Because if I don't practice that, when those moments come up, like I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know, like um, I have a harder time pulling myself back. You know, to actually hear the truth. And so, um, those are some of the things that like I've had to try to instill in my life. It's not always worked. You know, and so, um, but it's been helpful. Right. You know? 
Yeah, I think you kind of mentioned something earlier in the introduction. You know, like the disciples here, you know, God was telling them one thing, but their minds are racing to no Messiah's here. We're going to kick the Romans out. We're going to, you know, reinstitute the kingdom of Israel. And I think for us in the church today, we, we would hear this message, and we don't quite think like the disciples there, but we look at those many rooms, mm-hmm. and we think about our circumstances and things like the virus, and, you know, we just long to go there, to go to those rooms the Father's prepared for us. When, you know, the disciples were making one mistake, and we make another one, mm-hmm. instead of looking at the message that, you know, God's telling us is that His kingdom is to come here, and now, you know, heaven's to come here, and that we should be listening what is here and now for us to do. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think, you know, just going in between those two things, that personal control of our circumstances, and then also that that want to just give all the control away and escape, mm-hmm. you know, go between that instead of just sitting in what, you know, what is Jesus up to in the midst of our circumstances mm-hmm. and, and joining in that. And so for me... To, to just remember that. It's just to remember his basic gospel. You know, he invites us into his kingdom. It's here and now fully in him. And, mm-hmm. and, and we can we can just sit there. And that can look a million ways. You know, sitting with him quietly, listening to him, you know, meditating on what he did say, not, not on what I wanted to say. You know, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you know when you're like, not an expert at something, but you're really good at something, and you bring someone along to it, and then you, in your mind, you know, you know the questions that they're going to ask before ahead of time because you've already been through it and you you know. So it's like I know you're going to ask this at this point in time, and you know the answer because you're the expert on it. And I feel like that helps me slow down to know like whatever I'm going through. He's already ten steps ahead, and I may be worried or concerned about this one aspect, but he's he's an expert on this. He knows, and it just helps me slow down at times just knowing that he's 10 steps ahead of me mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and like the and I, th- I want to say maybe we talked about this in a community group one time about here are these professional fishermen out there and Jesus is like telling them how to fish and they're like what do you know man you're a carpenter you know <laughs> and how easy that is for us to be like Jesus never dealt with a virus before you know or Jesus, Jesus never had a like hey we're pregnant what are we going to do he's never gone down that road you know it's easy to forget that he is the expert on everything and you know we're I was thinking about this just this like scenario and everything and how uh, so we're all, all five of us are dog people which you should be too at home and uh, dog, as dog people we've all every one of us has had this happen where the dog gets away and you you have to like chase the dog down and you have to like basically like physically grab the dog and pick the dog up and bring it back to your house and it, it happens to every dog owner at some point um, when I had a dog named Gilly and at one point she got out and I'm walking around the neighborhood calling for Gilly and I'm like I've never regretted more naming her Gilly <laughs> And be a grown man walk around the neighborhood calling calling out for Gilly. But uh, so when Paul tells us when he talks about taking every thought captive and making it submissive to what Christ has to say, it's the same thing where it's like you have to you have to chase those racing thoughts down and like like literally like jump on them and make them submit, just like you have to do with a dog. Make them submit to what Jesus has to say. And so that's such a disciplined thing for us that that we have to like to one recognize man I'm a hundred miles down the road I'm not even paying attention to the fact that God Himself is standing in front of me telling me the truth 
and and being able to take that captive and then make it submissive to what Jesus has to say, which is found in the scriptures. And so if we don't know the scriptures, we don't know what to bring them into submission to. And so um, anyway, I, I just I feel like the disciples are so many times where I'm like, man, they're like, how how dense are these guys? And then I'm like, but I totally get it. You know, like I, I, I feel you. Uh, so here they are. Uh, Jesus gives them this news. Their minds are racing. He's trying to tell them the truth. They're they're just too caught up in their own stuff. Um, and so so if you look again at what he tells them, he's like, I, I I'm going I'm going to leave you. But look at verse two. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Uh, I go to prepare a place. I'll come back for you. He's he's pointing them to the future. But really, in order to understand, we have to kind of understand, like, so what's my what's my father's house? Like, what is that? What does that mean? And um, I've talked before, not too long ago, about this this passage. Uh, it would evoke some language, some like engagement, wedding imagery for them. Uh, but I want to take a little bit different approach, kind of more of a big picture approach, in order to understand the, the father's house. This this I think is very important. Um, so from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Um, the scriptures teach us that that God wants to be with us, like He wants to be w- together with with His people. Um, when I say from the beginning of the Bible to the end, I mean like like literally. So if you start off in, in creation, there are a lot of New Testament scholars that that look at the creation narrative in Genesis one and two, and they interpret that as uh, God is is. He's creating the earth. He's doing all the, all these beautiful things, but he's also he's creating a, a temple. That a, a temple is where is where a God and His people come together, and so we see that throughout history. And uh, one of the things that that happens throughout history, it even happens with Solomon's temple, is that they build a temple in stages. Um. And I've read a couple of times this week this that it's actually if you if you look at it technically there's six stages of building temples uh, in the ancient Near East and the final thing that you do once whenever it's ready is that you put an image of the god in the middle of the temple that's the last stage so that everyone knows who is who is the god here that we are gathered around to worship. And so if you step back and you look at creation as here's six stages of God building a dwelling place for him to be with his people, and the last thing he does is put an image bearer of himself in the middle of it, then the Garden of Eden becomes a temple. The, the earth is a temple. It is, it is a place for God to be with his people. Um, then, of course, we know, that, we know the narrative. We know that that image bearer, and his wife rebelled, and that messed everything up, and so thus launches this bigger narrative of redemption. Um, but God wants to be with His people. We see it in how He leads Israel. Um, we see it with the the plagues and the Passover and manna on the ground and the the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Like He's always wanting to be physically present with His people. Um, when Solomon's temple is built, it's built in stages. And what's the last thing that they do? They bring in the ark uh, for God to be with, with his people. Um, so all throughout the, the Old Testament, it's, it's constant. God wants to be with Israel. Uh, they, he wants them to be together. The incarnation, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, how, how much more 
I want to be with you, does it get than that, the way, what we celebrate during Advent. Um, then after Jesus, after the ascension, you know, and, and toward the end of his ministry and later in these chapters, he, he says, I'm going to leave you, but there's another one that's coming. He promises the Holy Spirit. And so the, the Spirit of God comes to be with his people. And so we see that at Pentecost, that God is, is dwelling not only with, but in. It doesn't get any more, any more like, like close than that. Um, and then at, at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, uh, I feel like I read this verse like once a month in some sermon, but uh, 21.3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And so in a, in a literal sense, from the first chapter of the Bible to the last chapter of the Bible, it's very clear that God wants to be with his people. And so the overarching mission of Jesus is to bring God and his people together. But that's, the, that's what he's trying to do. That's his goal, is, is to bring an estranged group of people uh, God and because of sin and all his sons and daughters to bring us all together. That's the whole point. And so uh, when he says in verse three, if you look at that again, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You want to know what the heart of God is for you and for me, for us, for humanity is that right there that where I am, you may be also. There's a there's a coming together, and so um, so the the Father's house, that's the union of God and His people. It's it's this it's this new creation. It's this temple. It's the it's us and Him together because that is what He that's what He wants. That's His desire. That's His deep desire is to be with us. Um, let me just throw, the, throw this to the group before we turn the turn the corner into the actual I am statement. What is that when I when I describe it that way? Am I like beginning to end? It's constant. God wants to be with us. What is that? What does that evoke in you? If you had to sum it up, I think for me, the, what God's communicating to me is that there's a worth in me that He sees that, that He's He's labeled and, and, and spoken, and that. So there's something of value that Jesus wants with me. Yeah. And so it doesn't leave me out of the picture. And I think there's just this dignity that we all have as human beings, that we, you know, we're creating His image. And so when God wants to be with me, He's affirming that worth and that dignity. And mm-hmm. it just doesn't get any better. <laughs> yeah, I kind of break it up into kind of two categories. There's relationship with the father which of course like he wants relationship with us but also the fellowship side and to me like the relationship like to be able to sit down like i have a place at the table for you to fellowship to um to share to share my heart with you and you to share your heart with me um it just i don't know that that part of it not just he doesn't just want a relationship but also just to be with us and to to sit with us and to share in the things that we're sharing in in this world, you know, so that glory might be brought to the Father, you know. So I think to, to know relationship and fellowship that He wants both of those things is, um, I don't know, it's it's very humbling, you know. I 
I guess that I mean, this gratitude immediately overwhelmed me even just hearing you roll through the different places of him just showing us time and time again that he wants to be with us. But I just, um, I don't know. There just aren't a ton of relationships in the world that you're not having to do something to earn. Um, Whether it's like just worldly things like work or grades or all that kind of stuff. And um, hopefully within our friendships and our marriages and our families that is not present but I know sometimes it is and so the idea that there is this one expert and this perfect one who just set everything into motion possible so that he could be with me is pretty overwhelming in a good way yeah he's not looking for you to do so many things to like a status there's all these clubs and things and uh, there's no status level. You yeah. have to work your way to get to there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not just a number. You know, I'm Cody, and mm-hmm. that's he, that's all that he needs. That's what's that's what's awesome. Just yeah. break it simply down. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, during 30 days of prayer, going through the 23rd Psalm, and you know, at the, at the end end of the psalm, like I always really liked those all the sheep shepherd part, and the last part was always a little mysterious to me. And, but to think in terms of like his hospitality is because he's so happy that you're in his house, you know, like that the, the table being prepared and the anointing of of the head with oil and the cup overflowing and like and David writes it like goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so easy to grow up in Western Christianity and kind of feel like. Like, well, yeah, but that's just because that's just because of this or this, you know, like almost like he's like he's looking the other way because of what Jesus did. But the scriptures point of like, well, yeah, like because of Jesus did, you're there, but also because he wants you there. Like, why do you think Jesus did what he did? You know, because he wanted to. Uh, It's such a like such an important, like deep thing for us to embrace. And so um, here's Jesus talking about the father's house. And like that, where I am, you may be also. That's that's the goal. That's the agenda. And in, look back at verse four. He says, "You know the way to where I'm going." You, in other words, you know you know the way to the Father's house. And Tom, you know, poor Thomas, bad rap, right? He's like, "Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way?" And in verse six, Jesus says, "I am the way, and the truth, and the life." No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you'd have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Um, so the way, the truth, the life, I've, I think all of us have grown up around church and have heard that, that phrase so much. And uh, it's important to keep in mind those are, those are not three separate things. Um, it kind of reads that way in, in English, and so, um, and I don't know that because because I know Greek. I know that because I have a book that knows Greek, and uh, I read a, read it a few times this this week. That it actually it's this um, sentence pattern uh, thing in in Greek where uh, one is de- it actually is built upon what comes next. So another way to read it is I am the way because I am the truth, and because I am the life. 
that that they're they're not three separate things. They're three very much interconnected things. And so I am the way because I'm the truth and because I'm the life. Like that's that's why I'm I am the way. And so if you could also say it in, in in reverse, well I'm the life and I'm the truth. Therefore, I am I am the way to the Father's house. So we talked about you know I am the life. We talked about the the Zoe. So he's saying I am. Literally, the embodiment of the eternal, uncreated life of God. Uh, I am life. I am Zoe, um, and so d- that's like the foundation of of the statement. And so, because He is life, He is also truth. And that's a truth is a is a very interesting like subject to study and just all that kind of stuff and. Um, I always will kind of revert to Dallas Willard in this and many other things, but uh, Dallas, uh, I like to call him Dallas, like we're we're buddies. Uh, Dallas talks about truth. He says truth is is basically what what corresponds to reality. He says, so if he always uses this illustration, he says, "If if my gas tank is empty in my car, that is what is real. Um, I can't just like will it or wish it or believe it into being like anything else. Like the reality is the reality. That's what truth is. And if I want to believe that it's full, that's fine. I'm not believing truth. I'm believing something that's inconsistent with, with reality. And so Jesus, if we, if we take that into account, Jesus is saying, well, because I am Zoe, uh, I'm bringing you what is, I'm bringing you reality. Like I'm bringing you what is real. And Jesus is the self-revelation of of the Father. That's why that's why he says, "From now on, you like if, if you know me, you know the Father." He's he's like brought the truth of God to us, and so he's saying, "I am I am Zoe. I am that life, which means that I am like I am reality. Like I am, I'm not only like I'm telling you reality, but because I am reality, I'm speaking as an authority on the subject." So, uh, of course I'm the way. Of course I'm the way. So he said, I'm, I'm going to bring you to my father's house. You, you know the way. And they're like, we don't know the way. He's like, yeah, you do because you know me. Like it just, it just makes sense that way. So he's saying, I'm the, I am the, the union of heaven and earth. I'm, I'm the temple. I'm the, I'm the oneness of man and God. Like I, I am I'm the door. I, I am, and so whenever we think about him being the way, let me let me give us three thing three things to ways to think about it as I as I close here. When he says I'm the way, in part he's talking about salvation. So right after he says I'm the way because I'm the truth because I'm the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That statement right there is one of the more it's one of the more like difficult ones for a lot of us in like modern times and all that stuff where, where we're, um, we don't like that exclusivity, you know, like it's, it's because that's a lot of times people's talking point against what we believe. Um, but, but if we think about it in the terms that he's saying it, um, he says, no one comes to the father except through me, but it's, it's absolutely because of the oneness with the father that he's just described. Like in verse seven, 
If you'd know me, you'd know, have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. There's so much from John 14 through 17 where he's constantly talking about the Father and I are one. The Father and I are one. So because of that oneness and that unity, there's, there's no distinction. And so he's like, well, there's no other way to get to the Father than me because we're one. Like it's, it's like if, if like he's not on like a power trip or anything, you know. It comes across that way sometimes because it's been spun that way, and even Christians have spun it that way. Um, but he's not like he's not saying, "Well, it's it's my way or the highway," and any of that kind of stuff. He's just saying, "No, this is what's reality. You live in a false reality all the time. You live you live in a world that's broken and lying to you constantly. And I have because I am life, I've come to tell you what is true and consistent with reality, and therefore I'm I'm the way to it." So he's not on a power trip, and he's not trying to make things difficult and, and all that. He's just saying, no, this is actually what's real and what's true. Um, and, you know, I was talking with the elders the other night about this, and I said, it's like, it's almost like if someone was standing in the, standing in Baton Rouge and was like, hey, can you can you tell me the way to Baton Rouge? You know, it's like, uh, you're, you're here, you know. That's what he's telling them. He's like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm going to take you to the Father's house. You know the way. And they're like, no, we don't. I'm like, yeah, because you're... You do because you know me. Like that's just that's what's real. What's that's how it works. And so because because of that oneness and that unity with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, um, that's why there's only one way. There's a, the only way to God is God. Like that's just how it's just how it works. And so later on, like in Acts chapter four, um, verses eleven and twelve, uh, Peter says he says this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there's salvation in no one else, for no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, and there, there is no other name because there's because He is the way. Like He is, He and the Father are one. And so He has brought heaven to you. So it isn't even necessarily about us going to the Father's house as much as it is the Father's house coming to us. And all that stuff coming together right there in their midst. And I feel like that's been such a theme over this whole series of I am statements is he's constantly saying, I am him. I'm the one. I'm standing right in front of you. All the other things that you're looking for, all the other things that, that you think you'll find salvation or security or worth or value or purpose or whatever it may be, all those other things, uh, they, the reason why they all come up empty is because you, that's not what you were made for. And I came across that C.S. Lewis quote from Mere Christianity where he says something, to, I'll butcher it of course, but it says basically like whenever, whenever you are in a world and you're finding that nothing in that world will satisfy you, the only conclusion is that you were made for another world. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You, like you, you were made to be with the Father and, I, and I'm making that happen. So as far as the way, there's salvation. The second thing is he's also the way in in a sense of our daily abiding with him. Next week, we'll, the the last statement uh, for Easter Sunday is I am the I am the true vine, and and the the vine and the branches abiding in one another, and um, that's like he is he is the way to in salvation, but he stays the way, he remains the way. That's that's that Zoe connection that that we have. That's how those. Um, like if, if Zoe life, you know, in that sermon I talked about like how life and uh, light are used 
simultaneously so much. And how Zoe is something, it's, it's like a fire that we just, that we keep burning, that we keep oxygen and fuel on it all the time. And this, the scriptures and prayer and community and all these things are, are keeping that fire alive in us. So he's not only the way to be saved, he's, he's, he's the way that that salvation it remains intact. And that's where, that's where that true life comes from. That in those times when we've been told something and our minds start to reel, that's how we're able to take a thought captive. That's how we know how to make it submissive to what Jesus has to say. That's how we navigate through things like COVID-19 and how do we talk to our kids about it? And what about, what about the economy and what about this and this and this and um, much less getting sick and all these kinds of things. That's how we figure our way through it is because he continue, he is the way every single day in every moment of every day. And so spoiler for next week, we'll talk a little bit about you cut a branch off, off of the trunk and it starts dying immediately. And it's the, it's the same way for us. We stay connected so that his life flows into our lives. And so he's the way of salvation. He's also the way every moment of every day. Like we live in that, in that sense of dependence upon him. Uh, so we find ways to keep that fire going. And then the last thing as far as the way is that, <clears throat> keep in mind he's saying all this on the eve of what is the worst day, the worst day in history for sure. And his own personal, like, this, uh, how difficult it was for him, holistically. Uh, the cross tends to be tends to be driven by a lot of the, the physical brutality. But um, when you start to read through the scriptures and all the other ways that it was agonizing to him, here he is saying, "Yeah, I'm 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 the way, and the way involves me dying." Like the way involves me sacrificing my life so that you can be alive. I will die so that you can live. Um, a few chapters earlier in John 12, he says this. He says, uh, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so they're probably thinking, well, yeah, duh. We're, we're, we're all farmers. We know how that works. But I wonder if he was like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the grain of wheat that has to die and fall and go into the ground uh, in order to bear this, this kind of fruit, in order to be the way. And so as we think about this in these, this context, you know, he, he's the way, the truth, the life. He, he brought life. He brought truth. But now he, he had to pave the way through his own suffering, his own death so that we could actually know the way, like truly, deeply know the way. And so it came, of course, great cost to him, which is a part of what we celebrate this week. And so here's, here's Jesus who's saying, um, I, and the, I and the Father are one. Father, Son, Spirit, oneness. And we want to be with you. We want to be with you so much that we're willing to do what what it's going to take in order to make that happen. And you may not think you know the way, but you do, and you'll see. And now here we are, all these years later, able to see and to uh, to to feel it, and to um, to kind of wrestle through all these different things about about our faith and how it applies, and and just slowly starting to realize, like, oh yeah, God really does desire to be with me. 
sometimes you're like, does he even know? Does he know me really? Like who? Like yeah, he does, and he that's his desire, which is which is why this next week will look the way that it does. Um, and so I hope that this kind of helps us set a trajectory for uh, what was set into motion that day on Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. Um, as he basically is like, if you don't know the way, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the way um, because I'll I'll become that way and I am that way. And uh, yeah, so I hope this I hope this has been good for you and and uh, it's been so good for me and. I feel like the next few days will be really special for us as a as a, as a church family. I almost feel like because we're separated, maybe maybe we'll be dialed in differently to what happens on Monday and Tuesday and, and all those kinds of things. So let me pray for us. And we're gonna sing a little bit and then we'll be we'll be done. So let me pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful that um, even with these disciples who were they just never really seemed to catch on but I'm thankful for your patience with them and I'm thankful um, thankful that you just wanted them to get it so badly that you would just hang in there and that just shows your like your true desire to be with your people and as much as you were there with them that night as fully present as you were that that was you weren't going to stop there you weren't going to stop until you had done what it would take in order for all your kids to be where you are that where you are we may be also so we're thankful for the cost that you're willing to pay in order to be the way We thank you that you are our way because you are our truth and because you are our life. We thank you for for making sure that where you are, we could be also. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.